All right, welcome back to Perch, a hospitable community for spiritual wanderers. Uh, my name is Al and I'm the pastor of Perch. Uh, we are continuing on in our Know Thyself series. Uh, the first week of um, February, we did uh, Know Thyself. And last week, we talked about how to grow thyself. And today, dun dun dun, surprise, surprise, I rhymed again. It's called Show Thyself. Show Thyself. And as we get started, I'm going to pull up a picture real quick. Uh, it's going to be a picture of my desk at home. I love my desk. It's a standing desk. You can't tell from this picture, but yeah, it's a standing desk that moves up and down. And um, I've had it for quite a while now. It served me really well during COVID. And it's still nice and sturdy and strong, very stable. But there is this one thing that I... Uh, don't like about this table is that I, I recently found out that it's covered with a pretty cheap veneer. Now, if you don't know what a, a veneer is, it's a very thin uh, board, a wooden board that covers up what's actually underneath it, which is most, most often particle board. And particle board are pieces of wood that's more or less like glued together. Uh, and particle board is moldable, it's cheaper, it's mass-produced, it's lighter, so it's easier for shipping, it's cheaper for shipping, but it's not very strong, it's not very sturdy, and it's a, it's a soft wood. So what a lot of manufacturers do, well, they, they will cover it up with this thing called a veneer. And uh, sometimes veneers used to cover up old wood, uh, if wood gets too scuffed up, scarred, um, dented, or damaged, this thin layer of veneer can be used to cover up the wood's imperfections. But the beauty of the wood is, in my opinion, uh, it is in the imperfections. And this is a reason why a lot of really high quality antique furniture um, gets more and more expensive as they get older. It's because of the quote unquote imperfections or seemingly flaws in the w wood that gives it character. Um, they, a lot of antique furniture collectors will call these flaws on the wood um, beauties of imperfection. These imperfections give the wood its uniqueness and kind of tell the story of the furniture's history or um, where the w what kind of wood it is, maybe even where the wood came from. And there's a beauty found in the imperfections and the scars of all of these pieces of wood that give it its character and its personality. Oftentimes uh, in our very lives, um, we like to cover up what's underneath us with veneer. And I think this is more prevalent now than it ever was before. And it's actually becoming worse and worse. And a lot of the reasons behind this is because of social media, social media. And because of social media, it's actually more and more common that pictures that you see on social media, there's more pictures that are filtered than that are raw, right? You see a lot more videos that have some sort of like uh, lens or effect or filter on it than you see videos that don't have that. And we also do this in our emotional health and spiritual lives as well. 
we give off this perception that we are a lot more emotionally healthy than we think we are or than, than we actually are inside. We give this impression that we are spiritually mature, that we've reached this level of like spiritual enlightenment more than we think uh, w we actually are. And maybe even times for Christians, for followers of Jesus Christ, we present ourselves to be um, much stronger in our faith, more resilient in our faith, and maybe even healthier in our spirituality than we actually are. Um, I think part of the reason why people, uh, the, the people who like my sermons, the people who like my messages, uh, like it because I don't pretend to be anything that I'm not. You know, I don't uh, present myself in this uh, way that I'm this pastor who's got everything figured out. But I also think that's part of the reason why my messages are not very popular. <laughs> is because most people want to listen to a message or a sermon from a pastor, from a preacher who has it all figured out or at least is presenting himself or herself in this way that they have all the answers and they don't really have that many problems in their personal lives. But one of our foundational beliefs uh, as followers of Jesus Christ is that we are broken and messy. And if we confess our needs and our brokenness and are honest about our shortcomings with Jesus, He gives us a new identity. And there's something really profound, something really important um, that's to be said about why we begin our journey of spirituality with confession. With confession. If any of you have grown up in church, uh, you would know that the first step to a life of faith is to look inward and to confess your sins or your shortcomings, your mistakes, your moral failures. And that's hard to do, right? But that kind of has to be the starting point of our journey of faith. And yes, it's because we need to rely more on God and not on ourselves because we can't earn our salvation. Yes, absolutely. But even more practical than that, uh, even more practical than that, on, on an emotionally healthy or like psychological level, we start at that place because it forces us to look inward. It, it forces us to really look at ourselves and truly see ourselves. Uh, one of my favorite authors, his name is Brennan Manning. Uh, he's a pastor, he's an author, and he's a war veteran. And he said that in the battle between the flesh and the spirit, oftentimes the American Christian usually gives into the flesh. And when we do, we lose sight of who we are as the children of God. Uh, in his book, The Importance of Being Foolish, Brennan Manning mimics the American Christian by saying, It is not that I am afraid to tell you who I am, I truly cannot tell you because I myself don't know who I am. God calls me by name and I do not answer because I do not know my name. I'm going to read that again and let's just sit with it for a minute, okay? Again, this is Brendan Manning from the book, The Importance of Being Foolish. 
It is not that I am afraid to tell you who I am. I truly cannot tell you because I myself do not know who I am. God calls me by name, but I do not answer because I do not know my name. The passage we're going to read from today is Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 15. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 15. And this is a Psalm of David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Oh my gosh, I love that psalm so much. Psalm 139 is a psalm from King David himself. Now, many of you might not know this, but the psalms were actually meant, most of the psalms actually, uh, were meant to be sung. They're actually songs. Okay, that's what the word psalm means. It means songs. And this one was written by King David. And King David, uh, he, he wore many hats, okay, before he was a king over Israel and even after he became king over Israel. Um, as, as a young boy and as a teenager, uh, his uh, occupation, his vocation was uh, a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. Uh, and he was a very gifted musician. He was known to be a killer on the harp. <laughs> uh, his most famous claim to fame is that he killed the giant Goliath and before he became king he was uh, the king's right-hand man he was a king's servant and he went to many battles he was a soldier he was a war hero uh, and for a little while he even became uh, exiled uh, he became an exiled citizen and then after that uh, he was redeemed as a citizen uh, with his people the Israelites and he became, ultimately, he became the king over Israel. He became the king over Israel. 
Um, eventually, over the years, the power got to his head, and he ultimately became a, a womanizer. Um, he was such a, a womanizer that he got this woman pregnant, and to cover it up, he had her husband murdered. And ultimately, he was found out for his crimes of adultery and of murder. And so he um, was called out by um, the prophet Nathan, uh, who and there's this famous story where uh, the prophet Nathan comes to King David and like calls him out in his court. And ultimately, he was uh, vindicated and he was redeemed and forgiven as a sinner. So King David has had quite the life's journey. And this is the guy who wrote these words today. Not some sort of saint, not some sort of perfect, holy uh, monk. And by far, he is uh, no angel. He is a man, uh, a man who's had quite a lot of experiences has made a lot of failures and had, has a range of um, life's journey. He's also been through some trauma. He's been through some trauma. He's seen some stuff, okay? Uh, he's, he's seen a lot of really messed up stuff. Um, he's seen people murdered in front of him. Uh, he himself has killed many people. Um, he has done a lot of like shady things, uh, like you know, committing adultery with a married woman, getting her pregnant, and then ultimately to kind of cover his own butt, he had her husband killed. He's done a lot. He's done a lot. He's seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. And I'm sure he's probably like buried a lot of that shame, a lot of that guilt, a lot of that trauma, a lot of that anger, deep, deep inside. And this is why, and this is where he's coming from when he's writing Psalm 139. It begins by saying, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You searched me, Lord, and you know me. Other versions of the Bible uh, translate search as examine. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about know thyself, examine. So many people go through their entire lives without examining themselves. Yet, God sees you and examines you all the time. And this is the first lesson that this passage has to teach us about showing ourselves. God sees you better than anyone sees you. God sees you better than anyone sees you. And He examines you. He peruses you. He looks into your mind, into your heart, and into your soul. God examines you. And this isn't just like a quick glance, okay? This isn't just a, a once-over, just like taking a look at who you are. He, he, he looks closely at you. He searches you. He examines you and peruses you. One bad habit that I have um, is uh, I kind of have like butterfingers. <laughs> uh, I, I drop stuff all the time. 
uh, I seem to drop stuff in my car all the time um, and I, I, I infamously I will always drop my key in that little crack uh, in, in between the car seat and the middle console that little crack and the key just goes like straight in there and like drives me crazy of all the places that the keys can like fall into it always falls into that that teeny, that teeny little crack between the car seat and the mid console and so I have to like get out of my car I have to park the car I have, uh, well it's already parked because the keys are uh, I have to get out of my car seat and I have to go to the back seat and look underneath and I have to examine I have to search I have to examine for my keys but when I'm looking when I'm down there and, and I'm looking for my keys right I find all this other stuff right I'm like oh Here's a french fry from McDonald's <laughs> that I ordered like two weeks ago. Oh, it's still here. Oh, no wonder it smells a little bit like french fries in my car. Oh, oh, here's that dollar bill that I lost <laughs> um, like a month ago. Oh, here it is. Oh, here's the freaking parking ticket uh, or, you know, the, the parking lot ticket that I lost. And I had to like pay the full amount because the parking, parking lot ticket is right here. It's been under my car seat the whole time. And this is what happens when we examine, right? Instead of just like looking. When we uh, examine closely, we find things that, uh, you know, we don't expect to find. Uh, we, we find things that maybe we don't want to find, that we've been trying to ignore or we forgot about or kind of like buried deep inside. And this is what happens when uh, <laughs> we examine ourselves. And this is the second thing that uh, this passage has to teach us. First, it's like God sees you better than anyone else sees you. Now, you can hide from others. You can like uh, kind of bury certain things like deep down inside, right? You could kind of have this facade of being prideful, um, but really inside you're like so scared. You can like uh, portray yourself as being very strong, but really inside you're like insecure, right? But you can't hide that from God right and and as we allow god to search us and examine us well i mean god is doing that anyways but it's like we're becoming more aware of it as we become more aware of god searching us examining us and truly truly seeing us he also reveals to us that like uh he sees us better than we even see ourselves right god sees you better than you see yourself God sees you better than you see yourself. It says um, in verse 2 and 3 of today's passage, You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You are familiar with all my ways. You know when I sit and when I rise. Um, so I have this struggle. I've always had this struggle of um, falling asleep. I, uh, I kind of don't like falling asleep. Uh, it's because when I was a kid, uh, my parents would often fight 
in the next room, in the living room, like almost every night, pretty much every night as, as far as I can remember. And a lot of it had to do with like my dad's drinking and my mom being so indignant and upset and angry with him almost every night for uh, drinking so much. Um, so they would fight in the next room and they'd be yelling and it would wake me up in the middle of the night. And oftentimes um, they couldn't settle their fight uh, among the two of them. So they would wake me up, like they would drag me out of bed and like take me to the other room and kind of mediate for them as, as a kid, you know? <laughs> like it happened like as young as like I was like seven, six years old and I would like, this little kid would be like mediating these like two grown adults fighting. And so every time uh, I went to lie down to go to bed, uh, I was so anxious and um, I was scared to go to bed. I was like literally scared to fall asleep because I know in like a little while I'll wake up again. In an hour, in a couple hours, uh, I'll wake up again to my parents fighting in the next room. So I have this habit of like watching TV and just kind of like letting that soothe me a little bit until I fall asleep. Uh, I've been doing that more these days because um, uh, my life's been pretty hard <laughs> these days. So I, I, I've been doing that more and more, kind of like reverting back to like my childish behavior, unfortunately. And then I read this passage again um, this week, kind of preparing for today's message. And it comforted me. It comforted me because tells me that God is with me. He knows that I have problems falling asleep. He knows that I often feel lonely and anxious. He knows that I have these like ongoing recurring issues and he knows the precise moment that I actually fall asleep. He's with me. He knows when I sit and when I rise he discerns my going out and my lying down. I actually don't know what time I actually fall asleep. I know what time I'll get into bed, right? But I don't know exactly when I fall asleep. And I don't know if you know that either, you know? Maybe you know exactly when you go to bed, but who knows exactly when, when that moment that you actually fall asleep. Uh, but God does. And that tells us that God sees you better than you see yourself. God sees you better than you see yourself. Even when God feels far away, distant or disconnected, He perceives and understands your thoughts and your fears, your emotions, and where you are spiritually. There's this term that I came across recently, that I recently heard, and is um, I'm still kind of learning about it. Called it, the term is called uh, spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing. This term was first coined uh, in the early '80s um, by a psychotherapist named John Wellwood, or uh, Wellwood, uh, in his book *Toward a, a Psychology of Awakening*. According to Wellwood, spiritual bypassing uh, is defined as a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep 
or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. Spiritual bypassing is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. Now, Wellwood, he's not like an atheist or agnostic. Uh, he was a very devout Buddhist. And so he, he noticed that he does this himself um, as, as a very devout Buddhist. He would actually uh, give spiritual reasons um, to kind of bypass or excuse, uh, avoid, not confront uh, an unresolved uh, issue. And this also applies to spiritual growth. Ironically, sometimes we use spiritual bypassing to avoid confronting difficult ideas or difficult areas of spiritual growth. Uh, I see this all the time as a chaplain in the hospital. Uh, some of the most common phrases I, I hear is, are things like, God works in mysterious ways. When people don't want to confront grief. When patients or family members don't want to confront grief, they'll say very flippantly, um, God works in mysterious ways. Maybe their spouse just died. And if someone says God works in mysterious ways, that may be a form of spiritual bypassing. Or um, I actually heard a friend of mine, um, a Christian friend of mine who got a DUI uh, say, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. My friend, I, I believe he was saying this because he had trouble confronting his own problems with drinking and getting to the root cause of that drinking. Like, why, why do I use drinking so often as a coping mechanism? Well, instead of confronting that question, that very, very difficult question, he says, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I don't know if this is something that you ever use for yourself, right? Because I, I, I know I certainly have. I probably still do to a certain extent, right? I, 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 I use these like Christian beliefs or like spiritual um, sayings to avoid confronting difficult areas in my life. I want to avoid grief. So I will spend more time like um, just like driving in the car and like listening to Christian music like blasting it, kind of like drowning my grief with music. But I think that's healthy because it's Christian. And I'm not saying it's unhealthy, but in that specific example um, where I did that, I'm avoiding grief. I don't want to think about what's going on in my head. I don't want to confront the feelings that I'm having in my heart. So I, I do these kinds of Christian practices to avoid it. Um, this is layered okay and this is kind of um uh, controversial maybe even to some people because uh what could be wrong with listening to christian music right what could be wrong with listening to gospel music uh, nothing nothing's wrong but you can use it to avoid 
doing the harder work of examining yourself. And God is inviting us to do that. God is inviting us to see, examine, and peruse ourselves. But in His grace, in His love, He doesn't dump all of that stuff on us at once. And this is the last thing that this passage has to teach us about showing ourselves. God gradually shows you parts of yourself. God gradually shows you parts of yourself. Eventually, over time, the areas that in our lives that we're trying to hide or the parts of our hearts, the parts of ourselves that we're trying to hide from other people, they get close enough to us, they're going to see it. And they're going to point that out if, if they love us in like a loving way, right? They'll, they'll point it out, right? Even with ourselves, we can only run away from ourselves uh, for so long. And if it feels like we can't run away from ourselves anymore, an unhealthy pattern we might develop certain unhealthy patterns right like we, we might want to like drink ourselves uh, to death or we might want to like distract ourselves with going out and having fun and partying we might want to um, be become workaholics to avoid doing the hard work of looking inward so in God's grace if we continue to stay connected to God and stay connected to other people who love us um, and who care about us and who are uh, maybe emotionally and spiritually healthy themselves, God will gradually show us parts of ourselves when we need to see them. When we need to see them. This is why King David in today's passage in verse, uh, verses 6 and 7 says this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's too much to take in all of this knowledge at once, right? So a little bit at a time, God reveals it to us. God shows us what we need to see when we need to see them. I know for the past year, um, well, actually, the past four years uh, have been really, really hard for me, but the last year was the hardest year of my life for various reasons. Um, I've experienced a lot of loss, a lot of um, rejection, a lot of pain. And the grief didn't hit me all at once. It was a little bit at a time over the past year. I've been going through various um, stages of grief, definitely like anger, um, denial, um, depression, um, and kind of going back and forth, right? And some things I've accepted, some things I have not accepted yet. And in God's wisdom, I'm kind of being exposed to these things like little bit at a time and as I'm being exposed to these things I'm grieving a little bit at a time um, and as I'm grieving a little bit at a time I'm healing slowly gradually and this is why I know God shows me parts of myself uh, gradually uh, incrementally 
and when I need to see them. Oftentimes, he reveals it to me through my loved ones, um, my family members, particularly my children. Um, certain um, friends and partners along the way, uh, my colleagues even, here at the hospital and even at the last hospital that I used to work at, God shows me a little bit at a time and it's for the sake of my growth and health and healing. And the last few verses of today's passage um, are pretty profound. Uh, in verses 11 and 12, uh, King David, he writes, um, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's interesting that King David says, um, surely the darkness will hide me. It's as if he's saying he wants to be hidden by the darkness. He wants to be covered by this, um, this cape of darkness so that God won't see all the crappy things that he did, that others won't know how messed up he is, as, uh, not just as a king, but just as a man of God. Or maybe even that he can hide from himself, covering himself in this darkness. And yet, God to God, the darkness is not even dark to him. The night is as bright as day. It makes no difference <laughs> whether uh, we try to cover ourselves or not. Right? It makes no difference whether we um, try to run away from God or not. He sees everything, right? He sees everything. One area that my um, colleagues and I here at the hospital have been working on together is this thing called shadow work. Shadow work. Uh, the term shadow work was first developed by psychiatrist Carl Jung and um, has been kind of growing in development uh, over the years ever since. Uh, according to medical news today, Shadow work is a type of psychotherapy that focuses on the shadow self, uh, which are the parts of the psyche that people often keep hidden, such as trauma and resentment and quote-unquote negative feelings. According to Jung, a personality includes a persona, which is the personality that people show to the public, and there's the shadow self, which remains private or hidden. Unlike the persona, the shadow self often includes traits that a person does not like to show or even traits that are unknown to us. These are behaviors, beliefs, and um, attitudes that we have, emotions that we have that are in our subconscious. And sometimes these are parts of the self that a person may uh, often be unaware of themselves. And while working on the parts of ourselves that uh, we know are, uh, and are familiar with is, is uh, kind of a given, right? And, and it's good, right? We need to continue working on uh, parts of ourselves that uh, we know and are familiar with. But it's often the unknown parts of ourselves 
that are the biggest obstacles for spiritual growth. It's often the unknown parts of ourselves that are the biggest obstacles for our spiritual growth. And this is shadow work. You're looking inward and you're inviting God to reveal parts of yourself that you want to keep hidden. And this process, you know, uh, in the beginning I said, the spiritual journey, our, our life of faith begins with confession, right? Confessing our sins to God. These are my shortcomings. These are my uh, moral failures. Um, this is how I have not lived up to um, uh, how you want me to live, right? And, and it's not a way of like shaming ourselves or like making us feel like crap. Okay, it's a way of invitation to look inward. And this is something, this is a spiritual practice that we need to do on a regular basis. You know, the ancient church called it confession, right? Uh, to regularly go to church and confess your sins to the priest or the, the minister. Um, but this is something that we are supposed to do on a daily basis. Look inward and recognize our own shadow work that we have to do. You know, what is your shadow work? What is the shadow work that God is inviting you to start? What is the shadow work that God is inviting you to start doing? As we close, let me just read the last few verses of today's passage because it's so beautiful. It's like a be beautiful poem. Um, and... I think it's something that I definitely need to hear and I'm guessing it's something that you all need to hear as well and really let it speak to your spirit for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth amen have a blessed week